Turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 28. 1 Samuel 28, we're continuing our study of the book of 1 Samuel, and we're seeing the history of the nation of Israel. We're seeing it through the lives of Saul and, and David, and, and you know, we're almost through. I mean, we've got just a couple more chapters, and we'll, of course, go into 2 Samuel because we're looking really at the life of Saul in 1 Samuel, and then the life of David will be in the second. As we look at this, we really see a conflict and contrast. We see the conflict because Saul is trying to kill David, and Saul hates David. If you remember, Saul has now been rejected as king because he, he was the, anointed the first king. He disobeyed God. He rejected God, so God rejected him, and God has already anointed David to be the second king. Saul's still the king, but David is going to be the king. Saul knows that, and he wants to kill David. And so what we've been seeing is David is on the run. David's had several opportunities to kill Saul, but he didn't do it because he says vengeance belongs to the Lord. So we're seeing that, but we're also seeing this contrast between Saul, who really is a man of the flesh. He's a believer, but he's a man of the flesh. He's living by the flesh. And we see David, who the Bible calls a man after God's own heart, a man of faith. In this passage this morning, it's famous because we see a witch called the witch of Endor. And we'd say, what in the world is going on there? And uh, we're going to see that Saul wants to bring Samuel back from the dead and talk to him. And does he do this? What happens is, as we look at the passage, is it really Samuel? And who is this witch? What is Saul doing? And we'll see that. And so as we look at it this morning, we want to talk about the occult. We're going to talk about the truth, basically the truth of God's word, and then the results of sin. We'll see that as we go through it. So there's a lot here in just this little passage. We'll go fairly quickly. Once again, it's narrative, of course. I did a study uh, two or three years ago in our SBI, in our Bible Institute, called Angels and Demons. And what we did is we looked at these at the spirit world. We looked at these two aspects of, of spirit beings. They're what we call good angels, sometimes called elect angels. And then there's bad angels that sometimes are called demons. And there's a spiritual warfare going on that we can't see. In fact, even in this room, there are spirit beings in this world we cannot see. But there's a battle going on. In fact, in Ephesians 6, it says we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against, against rulers, against powers, against spiritual war, forces of wickedness in heavenly places. And so when you start thinking about a spiritual warfare or a spiritual world, you realize there's only two sources. There's either God, whereas there's the good angels in that part, and then there's the devil, and then there are fallen angels. And the truth is this. Anytime somebody worships something other than the true God, Jesus Christ, you're going to be dealing with uh, a fallen spirit world. And the Bible tells us to stay away from the occult, uh, all through the Old Testament, even the New Testament, the idea of stay away from those things. Uh, they're dangerous. Uh, they, they will influence you. Even as a believer, we can be influenced by the demonic aspect of it. We cannot be possessed by a demon, but we can be influenced. Uh, when we go down to L.A., as we call it, Lower Alabama, every year we go to Gulf Shores. When you get on that highway coming in to, coming down that way, there are, if, for some reason, there are three or four uh, places that are palm readers. They have these big signs out, palm reading and tarot cards, and come in and we'll tell you your fortune and all this. And there are a lot of people who say, oh, that's harmless or it's this. Listen, anytime you deal with the occult, it is not harmless. And we'll talk about the Bible, talks about staying away from that, and we're going to see uh, what happens even then. This morning, uh, we're going to see, let's see how it's going to work, there we go. We're going to see a witch, and she is one that deals with the occult, with the spiritual forces. One deals with the evil spiritual forces, and but in, in this passage, we're just going to see the power and the sovereignty of God. And there's going to be some questions raised. Uh, we're going to see, does Samuel come back from the dead? 
does this witch raise him from the dead or does God raise him from the dead? And is it really Samuel? And uh, there's a lot of things going on. So where are we? David's on the run. Saul's been trying to kill him. David has gone to live with the Philistines. Now that sounds strange. After watching the life of David up until this last part, suddenly David decides that he's going to get killed by Saul when he already knows that God has told him he's going to be the king. He leaves. He goes and lives with the Philistines. He lives with the Philistines for a year and four months. Uh, He's killing people. He's lying. And it doesn't even look like our David. That's what we're thinking. But David's down there, and he is living with a king named Achish. And Achish is the king of Gath. He's a Philistine. David is living in a little town called Ziklag. David is lying to Achish. David goes up and kills enemies of Jews, comes back and tells Achish he's killing Jews. So Achish thinks that David is on his side. And so he says, you know, from this point on, David's going to be for me. Now, we're going to just see that right at the start, but the passage this morning really deals with Saul. And Saul is that, let me keep pressing this, here we go. Saul is a man who started well, but he failed. He failed to trust God, he failed to obey God, he became jealous of David, he sinned, he lost his kingdom, he was a man after his flesh. I had a person, we talked in between the services, Saul was a believer, there's no doubt about that. The Bible says he became a new Christian, a new creation, a new person. But Saul is living poorly, and we're going to see what happens to him, and he goes and deals with the occult. And so you can be bad and be a believer, and so we'll talk more about that. Let me give you the the passage, sort of break down the passage for you this morning, sort of how it fits together, that the Philistines are preparing for war, and Saul meets, goes and meets the witch. We see that Saul sees Samuel, and we'll talk more about it in a minute. Is it really Samuel? And then we see Saul's reaction. So let's start, and as we start at chapter eight, uh, 28, verse 1, 1 and 2, we saw those last week, so we'll just review them. But David is living, this is, this is going on when David is living in Ziklag with the Philistines. Look at chapter 28, verse 1. Now, it came about in those days that the Philistines gathered their armed camps for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, know certainly that you will go with me in the camp, you and your men. Now, this is happening when David's living down at Ziklag. And so the king of Achish, and and we're going to see that all of the the five cities of of the Philistines are going to come together to go to war. Now, this is not going to be a little battle. This is going to be huge because there's five main cities. And the man named Achish, who's the king of Gath, has been with David. David's been lying to him and telling him he's been killing Jews. So Achish thinks, well, he's killed Jews. He's going to kill Jews in this battle. And when you look at this, you see that there are five cities and and the kings of each of the cities. This is a a little map, Ekron, Ashdod, Gath, Ashkelon, and Gaza. David is living somewhere like in this little area here, which is where Ziklag is. And so the five kings of the Philistines are prepared, getting ready to go to war. And this is not going to be a little battle. This will be a gigantic battle because we're talking about all of the army of the Philistines are coming. Now, Achish automatically thinks that David's going to be on his side because he believed back in chapter 27, verse 12, he thought that David was killing his own people. So he says, from now on, David's going to have to be with me. And so... David, and if you stop and think about David's life, this is just a terrible time for him. He's been, he's been a great man all the way through, and now he's living with the Philistines. He's been lying. He's been killing people, and now the Philistines actually think, Achish thinks he's going to go to war against his own people. That's what he thinks. And, and so look what happens when he says that to David. He says, surely you're going to go with me in the camp. And then verse 2, David said to Achish, very well. You shall know what your servant can do. 
So Achish said to David, very well. I'll make you my bodyguard for life. Now, what David says, now this is strange. David says, you'll know what I can do. What does that mean? Does David mean, yes, Achish, when you tell me to go to war, you'll see what I can do. And right in the middle of the war, David's going to turn and kill the Philistines. That could be what he means. Could it mean he's going to go to war and fight against his own people? You'd think that if David goes to war and fights against his own people, they'll ever want him to be the king? Well, we don't know. David says something so vague. Of course, I'm trying to look at David and think of him as the great one. And so he's probably meaning, you'll see what I can do, and meaning that when we get to battle, I'll turn against you and fight with my own people. That's what I'm hoping David's saying. Let me just say something to you. We'll never know. We'll never know. And we'll see it why in just a little bit, or maybe in the next week or two as we continue to go through this. So we see David and Achish, and they're preparing to go to war. Well, it switches back to Saul. And beginning at verse 3, there's a general statement, and then we start seeing Saul. So look what it says in verse 3. It says, now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had lamented him and buried him at Ramah, his own city. And Saul had removed from the land those who were mediums and spiritists. Now, all this is is just a statement. It's telling us Samuel's already died, and Saul had done right by telling that there could be no mediums or spiritists. Under the Mosaic Law, you weren't to have people who dealt with the occult, who dealt with spirits and and, and bodies and, and demons and all that stuff. You're not supposed to deal with that. So the Mosaic Law said don't do that. And so Saul actually did what was right. He removed them from the land. So when we think about it, Samuel is dead, and that means there's no leadership. I want you to think about it. Where's David? David's not there. David's down with the Philistines. Saul is not a leader. Samuel, the great judge, the great priest, the great prophet, he's gone. And so all the writer is doing, he's saying, now, by the way, Samuel was dead. There's really no leadership. Saul had removed from the land the spirit, you know, the mediums and the spiritists. And, you know, you can go around this town and there are people who do this. You can go around this town and you can find somebody that will read your palm or that will play with tarot cards, which are these cards that they flip them over and supposed to tell you your future, or they can do other things like that. And you've got to be real careful when you deal with anything like that. The Bible says stay away from that. I mentioned in the first service things like a Ouija board, things like Dungeons and Dragons, things like all these kind of occult type things. Stay away from that. You may think, oh, it's just a game. It's not a game. It's not a game. And if you really want to know about it, come see me. I'll go with you one-on-one because I have a, a connection with a group of young people that started playing Dungeons and Dragons and what happened to them. I'm not going to talk about it now. It takes a little too long. But if you really want to know, come see me. I'll tell you about Dungeons and Dragons. I'll tell you about a Ouija board. And I'll tell you about anything that tries to connect with the occult because it's a dangerous thing and you do not want to be involved in that. And so under the Bible, under the Mosaic Law, they were supposed to cut that out. Saul did it. He removed them. He said, if we find a spiritist, a medium, one of those kind of people, they were supposed to be put to death. So that's what he did. So he was doing this. It was the, the command of the Word of God, and it was also Saul's command. Well, let's see what's going to happen. Verse 4. So the Philistines gathered together, and they came and encamped in Shunan. And Saul gathered all Israel together, and they camped at Gilboa. And when Saul saw the camp of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. So Saul, they've got, they've got together and they've come, and let me just give you a little map. It's not a very good map because it's a little blurry, but here's the Jezreel Valley and there's Mount Gilboa. That's where they are. The Philistines are coming over this way and they're going to meet in this area for a battle. 
That's what the plan is. And David, David's over in, in uh, this section with the Philistines. So that's what's going to happen. And they're going to have a battle. And uh, so here's what happens. Saul looks out and he sees a huge army. And it says that when he saw the camp of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. He's afraid. So what, what is he going to do? What is he going to do? Well, then, then Saul inquired of the Lord. Well, that would be the right thing to do. But notice, Saul inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or Urim or by the prophets. So he inquires of God. And it says that he said, Let, let's go. He, he actually went to the priest and said, let's do the Urim and the Thurim and, let, Thunim and let's see what we can find out. Nothing worked. And then he said, is there a prophet around? Is there no, no word from God? And he said, maybe I'll have a dream and maybe God will give me an answer. No, there's nothing. God's not speaking to him. You know why? Because he's out of fellowship with God, because he's got sin in his life. Saul has been rejected by God. He has disobeyed God and he has not dealt with his sin. Now, when I say that Saul is rejected by God, it doesn't mean he's lost his salvation or anything because you can't lose salvation. It means he's out of fellowship with God and God is disciplining him. So he's still a believer and he's still saved, but he's out of fellowship and he's been rejected. And see, part of the problem is this. He has rejected God and God has rejected him. We're not talking about salvation. We're talking about fellowship. What should we do when we realize we sin? What should we do when we realize that we're living in sin and we're doing wrong? We should deal with our sin. First John 1, 9, we should confess our sins. That means to tell on ourselves. We confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. Saul hasn't done that. Saul looks like, oh, he's doing good. He's going to God. He's going to God to get an answer, but he's not in fellowship with God. He still wants to kill David. He still wants to do all these things. And so what's he going to do? He's got no answer from God. So where's he going to turn to? What's he going to do? Well, he's going to turn to a medium. Notice verse 7. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, well, there, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. So he actually says, find me. He's going to go to the occult is what he's going to do. And he says, find me a medium. Find me somebody, a witch. And there's one at a place called Endor. And so that's where he's going to go. And if you notice, they've been around this, this area, Mount Gilboa. Well, it looks, this map, is, it's only about 15 miles from here to here. So they're going to go. And by the way, what they're going to do is they're going to go at night. And they're not going to tell anybody they're going because he didn't want them to know that God's not talking to him. He didn't want the army to know that God's rejected him, even though they already know it. And he doesn't want them to know that he's going to a medium. So look at verse 7 again. Saul said to his servant, seek for me a woman. Find me this woman that's a medium, like a, you know, she can tell me the future. And I may go in and inquire of her. And they said, well, we do know there's a woman around here. And she's at indoor and she's a witch, and that's what she does. So then Saul, now watch, verse 8. Then Saul disguised himself by putting on other clothes. And he went, he and two men with him. They came to the woman by night and said, Conjure up for me, please, and bring up for me whom I shall name to you. Now what's he going to do? First of all, he disguises himself. See, the king had certain clothes. I mean, he did. He had certain clothes that he wore, robes and things. And, and so he doesn't want anybody to know it's him. So he puts on, you might say, regular old clothes. He looks like somebody else. And, and he has a couple of people that go with him. And they go by night. They're not going during the day. They're going by night because they don't want anybody to know what's going on. And he's going to go and see if he can get this woman to tell him about the future. 
And he actually tells her, conjure up for me, please, and bring up for me whom I shall name to you. He, you, know, you know who he's going to bring up? He's going to bring up Samuel. We'll talk about why in a minute. Now, the Bible says not to do that. In Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 13, there was a pro, the, the Bible actually said, do not deal with mediums, spiritists. Do not try to bring, do, deal with the dead. Do not those kind of things because they're demonic. Listen, there is a world that a lot of Christians don't even think about, but there is a spirit world. There are good angels and there are bad angels. And even in this room right now, they're both good and bad angels and you can't see them. They're spirit beings. And Saul is messing with the bad angels. He's messing with the demonic spirits. And let me tell you, stay away from anything dealing with that. I know some people say, oh, you're just being silly. Are you I'm not being silly. I'm telling you what the scripture says, and it is a dangerous thing to mess with the occult. So let's see what happens. And so he goes there and he says, would you conjure up somebody, whoever I name? But the woman says this in verse 9. The woman said to him, well, behold... You, and she doesn't know who it is. She said, you know that Saul has, what he has done is he cut off all the mediums and spiritists from the land. Why are you done laying this snare for my life to bring about my death? Now, she says, by the way, uh, I, I can't do this. Why are you coming to ask me? You know that Saul, the king, has already said that if people do what I do and they find out, they'll kill me. So I'm, I'm probably not going to be able to do it. And, but Saul said to her, uh, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. So he says, no, 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 nobody's going to find out. Nothing's going to happen. And, and, and so just, just do this for me. So she asked, okay, well, who do you want? The woman said, verse 11, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. Now, why Samuel? Because Samuel is the great man. Samuel is, a, is the prophet of God priest of God, the judge of God. Samuel is the one that anointed Saul to be the king. Saul, as Samuel as a prophet, every prophecy he ever made in his whole life always came true. He's a prophet of God. So Saul says, see if you can bring Samuel back from the dead because I've got to ask him some questions. I've got to find out what's going to happen. So watch what happens. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice, and the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. Now, what happened? Now, let me just tell you the best we can understand. They're probably in a room, and suddenly she sees something coming up out of the ground. And it's some kind of being that she's never seen before. And by the way, she's not the one doing it. Because she screams, and the Hebrew there means she screamed loudly. She wasn't pretending. This wasn't something she's done before. This was something that she didn't have anything to do with. God is bringing up Samuel. God, not the witch, is bringing up Samuel. And we see her reaction. She screams. Notice it says, when the woman saw Samuel, and by the way, the Bible calls him Samuel. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, why have you deceived me? You're Saul. Suddenly, she knows, who's, she knows it's Saul. Maybe she recognized him, or maybe she, all of a sudden she thought, wait a minute, I know who you are. You're, you're the king. Boy, you put me in a really bad shape, you know, and, and, and suddenly there's somebody coming. Now, the best we can tell at this stage, Saul can't see who it is. Notice. The king said to her, do not be afraid, but what do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I, I see a divine 
being come up out of the earth. She sees a divine being. This is something supernatural. This is, this is not of this world. And by the way, it's not something she's done before. This is not one of her tricks. This is not one of her deals that she tried to fool people. This is not something. She sees something she's never seen before. She says, I see a divine being coming up out of the earth. And, and he, says, he said to her, what, what is the form? What, is, what does he look like? And she said, he's an old man coming up, and he's wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew it was Samuel. And he bowed with his face to the ground and did homage. What, what did he look like? Do you know that Saul, if you look uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, that Samuel was known for always wearing this long cloak. And that's what she says. She says it's an old man coming up and he's got a cloak on. And so Saul knows it's Samuel. And by the way, is it Samuel? Some people say, no, 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 no. She was fooling him. I don't think she was fooling him because she's scared. Uh, some people say, no, it just was some ghost or something or some, some being that really wasn't Samuel. But the Bible calls him Samuel. In fact, let me look at this for a minute. Was it Samuel? I think it was. Why? She was surprised. It was not something she usually did. Saul sees and bows down. The Bible calls him Samuel. And then here's the key to he gives new revelation. Samuel tells Saul what's going to happen on the next day. Saul is getting new revelation. Well, what's going on? What would you do? Samuel's going to talk. Now let me raise this question. Where's Samuel been? Right? Where's he been? Well, let me, let me explain something to you that what we find out from the Bible... In the Old Testament, there's a word called Sheol. In the New Testament, there's a word called Hades. And it means the place of the dead. And if you study Luke chapter 16 and some other places, you'll find that there's a place in the heart of the earth called Sheol or Hades. And it's divided into two sections. There's a big gulf going down the middle. Read Luke 16 to get this information. On one side was a place called Abraham's bosom or paradise. On the other side was a place called Torments or a place called Tartarus. And what we find is, so what is this place? And so what the best we can understand is before, let me explain this to you, before Jesus died on the cross, paid for sin and rose again, when a believer died, they went to the heart of the earth to a place called Abraham's bosom or paradise that's found in Luke. If an unbeliever died, they went to the other side. There's a great gulf in between. They went to the other side. It was a place called Torment or Tartarus. That's found in Second Peter. And so, the best we can understand that that's where the the that that's where people were until Jesus came. When Jesus came and died on the cross and paid for sin, He opened the way so that now, when a believer dies, to be absent from the body is to be where present with the Lord. So Jesus, according to Ephesians. Chapter 4 came and brought these people out and takes them to be with him. And so after the death and resurrection of Christ, anytime a believer dies, they go straight to be with the Lord. Anytime an unbeliever dies, they still go to this place right here. Book of Revelation says in the last days, the death in Hades will be raised up to stand before Jesus Christ. So it's a really powerful thing. If you remember in Matthew chapter 12, when they came to him and they wanted a sign, he said, no sign shall be given to them except the sign of Jonah. As Jonah was in the belly of the great fish three days and three nights, so must the Son of Man be where? 
in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. When Jesus died on the cross, the thief on the cross said, don't forget me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me where? Paradise. Where did Jesus go? Three days and three nights, the heart of the earth. So the best that I can tell from the scripture, there is a place in the earth which used to be on one side, believers, on the other side, unbelievers. Believers are now to be with the Lord directly because Jesus has paid for all sin. Unbelievers still go to that side. He's bringing Samuel up from the heart of the earth. And Samuel comes, and notice what Samuel said, verse 15. Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Why have you done this? Why have you done this? And, uh, he, and Saul says, I'm greatly distressed, for the Philistines are waging war against me, and God has departed from me and no longer answers me, and either through prophets or dreams, therefore I called you that you may make known to me what I should do. And he says, what's the problem? Well, here's the problem. The Philistines are going to be a big war against me, and God's departed, and he won't speak to me. So what am I going to do? And I need to know what to do. Now, I just, I just wanted to bring this one little point out. All the way through this, when Saul talks about God, he just uses the regular word for God. When Samuel talks about God, he uses the name Lord, which is the personal name of God. So I just want you to see that. And I know it's nothing big, but it's the idea that Saul is out of fellowship and he just calls God, God. But Samuel is in fellowship and he calls God the Lord, all capitals, the personal name of God. So Samuel and Saul, he's there and, and, and Saul says to him, I, I, I need to know what to do. They're, they're getting me. Well, verse Samuel, Samuel said, why do you ask me since the Lord has departed from you and has become your adversary? I mean, Samuel is saying this. Listen, um, if God won't speak to you, why should I? I mean, think about that. That's what Samuel is really saying. You've become an adversary to God. Why should I talk to you? But Samuel is going to be nice, and Samuel is going to tell him the future. Now, you know, the truth is this. We don't want to know the future. Let's take it about a second at a time, okay? That's really the best way to do it. Because do you want to know tomorrow you're going to get a flat tire? I mean, you'll wait, go to bed and go, I'm going to get a flat tire. I don't know when, but I'm going to have it, right? Or, you know, you're going to get a cold. And you're going to say, in two days from now, I'm going to get a cold. I don't want to know about getting a cold. I mean, so you don't want to know the future. You really don't. There could be great things. There could be bad things. So Saul is going to find out the future. And what David, uh, what uh, Samuel does is he gives him three things. In fact, verse 16 again, Samuel said, why do you ask me since the Lord has departed from you and has become your adversary? He's going to tell him three things and let's see what they are. Here's the first one. God has fulfilled his word. He has torn the kingdom from Saul and given it to David. Look at verse 17. The Lord has done according to as he spoke through me for the Lord has turned the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David, that's exactly what God said was going to happen. Samuel already told Saul that. Saul already knew that David's going to be the next king, but he said, this is fixing to happen. God is fulfilling his word. The kingdom is gone from you and is given to David. There's a second thing that he says, that the Philistines are going to win. God will give Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Uh, by the way, in verse 18, he tells him why he's being rejected, because he didn't obey. He didn't execute his fierce wrath on Am Amalek, and so this is one of the reasons. So then he says, moreover, the Lord will also give Israel over along with you into the hand of the Philistines. They're going to get defeated. 
This battle is coming up. The five kings of Philistines are coming after the Jews, and the Jews are going to lose, and they're going to be beaten by the Philistines. That's what he tells him. And then he tells him a third thing. Saul and his sons will die. Notice the next part. Verse 19 again. Moreover, the Lord will also give Israel along with you into the hands of the Philistines. Therefore, tomorrow, watch, you and your sons will be with me. Indeed, the Lord will give over the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Where will Saul and his sons be tomorrow? They'll be in the heart of the earth with Samuel. They're going to die in the battle. Now, let me remind you of something. Samuel's on the good side, right? Where's Saul going to be the next day? He's going to be on the good side. See, some people say, well, Saul was so bad. Surely he didn't get to be with God. When you believe, what do you get? Eternal life. How long does that last? What if you're not faithful? What if you're bad? What if you're sinful? It doesn't make any difference. Salvation is a gift, not based on your works. So the next day, Saul and his sons will die. Now, I have to stop for a minute and remind you that that means one of the great people in the Old Testament, Jonathan, is going to die the next day. David's best friend. So really sad. And, and look what happened. <clears throat> Saul immediately fell in full uh, length on the ground. He was very afraid of the words of Samuel. There was no strength left in him, for he had eaten no food. You know why? Why? By the way, he's going to lose the kingdom. Philistines will win. Saul and his sons will be killed. And he's all upset because everything that Samuel had ever said always comes true. He says, tomorrow you will die. David will be the king and your sons and you, that we'll lose to the Philistines. Well, what happened? He falls on the ground. The woman says to Saul, saw that he was terrified and said, Behold, your maidservant has obeyed you. I've taken my life in your hands. I've listened to what you said. So now please listen to my voice. Eat some bread that you may get some strength and lead. But, but he, he would refuse to eat. So some of his servants came with the woman and they said, Listen, eat. So he arose from the ground and he ate the bread and ate on the, sat on the bed and he ate. And the woman had a fatted calf in the house and she quickly slaughtered it. She took the flour, kneaded it, baked unleavened bread and brought it to him. And so he's, he's all wiped out. And so everybody tells him, you got to eat, you got to eat, you got to eat. So the servants of the woman uh, urged him to eat. And then this last verse to me is so sad. She brought it before Saul and his servants and they ate. Then they arose and went away. That night, they'll never come back. When they go to battle the next day, they'll never come back. And Saul knows that. How would you feel going into a battle that you know you're going to die in the battle? That's why you don't want to know the future. You don't want to know what's going to happen to you tomorrow. Could be something great happen to you tomorrow. Could be something bad happen tomorrow. Do you want to know about that? I think we want to go and take it one day at a time, one moment at a time. We're going to see the consequences of the sin of Saul, how God judges Saul and the nation. And you know we've said this over and over, that sin is never in a vacuum. And so all these people are going to die, and Jonathan and them are going to die, and all this is going to happen because Saul is out of fellowship with God. He's not leading the nation, and God is going to allow the Philistines to win the battle. And Samuel tells Saul what's going to happen. Well, let me give you some applications from this as we'll continue on. But let's see what, uh, let's, let's think about this. Let's understand 
that sin in our lives breaks our fellowship. It does. When we're going through life and we get sin in our lives, uh, it, 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 it breaks fellowship. And we got to deal, <clears throat> excuse me, we got to deal with sin in our lives. Sometimes we don't think about it. We sin, but we need to confess it. We need to deal with it. The psalm said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. You're out of fellowship with God. Saul is out of fellowship with God. That's why God's not talking to him. And God even allows Samuel to give him the information. So what should we do? Confess our sin, deal with sin. So if you notice, if you recognize, if you realize that you've done something contrary to the scripture, the moment you realize that, confess that sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you. The second one is, let's understand there are consequences to our actions. Galatians 6, 7, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he reap. How Saul lived, he was rejected and disciplined because of his actions, because of his lifestyle. We're not talking about salvation. We're talking about service and rewards. And that's a great truth. And when we talk about our lives, how we live makes a difference, not only now, but in the future. Think about this, that right now, if, you, if we sin, God may discipline us as his children, and there may be a loss of rewards. One day when you stand before Jesus, instead of him saying, well done, good and faithful servant, he might not say that because you weren't faithful, because you lived in sin, because you didn't live uh, according to the Scripture. And it's real easy for us to do that. And so for myself and for you, we want to say, look, we want to be in fellowship. We want to serve God. We want our lives to count for God so that when we stand before him, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Here's the third one, and that is let's stay away from the occult. And, and I'm just I'm, I'm being serious. It's a dangerous thing. Um, the Word of God says to stay away from it. Just if the Bible said it, that's, a, that's plenty enough. That's it. Uh, and, and just realize, anytime you go to something that, like a we, listen, w when I was 12 years old, I never went to church. We went to church once when I was six, once when I was 12, and my, my twin sister and I, I think we were maybe up to 14 or 15. Somehow we got a, a Ouija board as a, as a present, as a gift. We, everybody thought it was a game. So we started playing with it. Let me tell you, so I, I won't say anything that, that happened in here. But you come see me, I'll tell you something. It's a dangerous thing to play with the occult. And uh, so stay away from it. Stay away from the occult. They're false rich religions. There's only one true God. That is Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through him. There's no other name given under heaven whereby we might be saved except the name Jesus Christ. So be careful. Stay away from that stuff. And finally, last but not least, understand God's word is always true. What Samuel said, which is the word of God because he's a prophet of God, it exactly came true the next day. And God's word is always true. That means that when you look in the scripture and it says that if you believe in Jesus Christ, you get eternal life, that salvation is by faith, that's a truth. And I hope and pray that any one of you in this room, if you have put your faith in Christ, if you have believed in him for eternal life, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you have eternal life, you will never perish. That's the word of God. But if you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you can know from the word of God that whoever doesn't believe in him will be rejected, will be separated. He that believes is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So I hope and pray that for any of you in this room, and you'd say, well, I don't know, I don't know about going to heaven. Listen, you can put your faith in Christ. You can believe in him. He gives you eternal life, and you can believe right where you're sitting right now. You can believe in him. And he gives you eternal life and you are saved and saved forever because the word of God is always true.